full disclosure is always, always the way to go. Um, the one thing that you cannot fight off with immigration is you lying to them. So I've seen people get denied for traffic tickets um, because they just didn't put them. Uh, so always pull your driving record. I personally right now would not advise doing anything immigration related without an attorney. It's an, it's a very interesting, it's an interesting world right now in immigration and it's gradually getting tougher. You are listening to Concrete Pastures Podcast. I am Nancy Mlemoisisi. Being an immigrant has been one of the most challenging and extraordinary experiences of my life. It inspired me to create a space that allows for myself and others to share our stories as we deconstruct the world's view of immigrant status. We unlock the joys, the laughs, and the bravery that being a dreamer brings. So subscribe and stay a while as we dive into today's episode. I believe this is an episode we've all been waiting for. I sat down with a U.S. immigration lawyer to answer, educate us on the how-to and what to do when going through the following process. Green card, U.S. citizenship, asylum, appeals, and we also have a bonus topic. This is a two-part conversation. The green card and the U.S. citizenship is part one. Asylum, appeals, and the bonus topic is part two. This is also our last conversation this season. We are taking a break to reset and rest. We will be back in October. I am just amazed at how great this season was. Oh my God. You've made it possible for all of you that continue to tune in, support us from day one. We are grateful for your support and we do not take it for granted. We appreciate each and every guest who has enabled this season to be what it is. Thank you for inspiring us. Thank you for your insights and thank you for continuing to shift our minds. And you could have been anywhere else in the world, but you chose to be on our stage. Deborah Kimbuta is an attorney with the State Bar of Georgia and the owner of D. Kimbuta Law Firm, which stateside focuses on immigration and some business consulting. She specializes in USCIS filings pertaining to green cards, asylum, appeals, and citizenship. Debra is currently in the midst of establishing a second more business-oriented branch of the firm overseas and currently work in consulting companies interested in investing in natural resources on the African continent. Welcome, sister. How are you? Thank you. Thank you so much. I'm well. How are you? I am so good. I'm so grateful you, you. I know you're busy. We've been trying to do this for a while now. You're traveling. Yes. You're supposed to be in the US. I was <laughs> expecting you to be in this heat with me. There's a heat wave. Okay. No, <laughs> but I'm she's joining us from uh, Belgium, right? Yeah, from Belgium. Yeah. Oh my God. So, 
before we get into the nitty gritty, I want to, we, we want our, our listeners, our viewers to get to know you a little bit. Okay. Um, I know you are my fellow immigrant. You, uh, from what I saw, you migrated from Congo DR to France and then France to the U.S. Yes, exactly. So most of your journey is in the U.S.? Majority of my journey is in the U.S., yes. I've, I've been in the U.S. for 23 years. Oh, wow. With so how was it growing up, I guess, a little bit in France and also compared to the U.S.? How is that dynamic? Um, I always say the difference between the two places, and ironically, it has it goes back to immigration. Um, in France, when you're born in France, and or when you're, when you're a Black person in France, um, you're an African that lives in France, so you can trace your origins. Whereas in America, we have Black Americans that whose origins are traced back to America for as far as they can reach out. Um, so what ended up happening is I left France and came here and thought that I could, you know, hang out with the Black Americans, but they had nothing in common with me because I was African and they were Black American. Um, and then uh, the white population was white American and then there's white French and it, there's a difference. So it was hard to pivot at nine um, to have like a, a little identity crisis of like, okay, so am I, what am I doing here? Because the way black people act in France um, is a little bit more oriented towards our African origins. And then you have African-American culture that's completely different. Yeah. Um, so it was a bit of an identity crisis. It was a bit of a shift and it took me a little while and a little bit of acting up in school to figure it out. But in the end, I figured it out. So it, it's immigration. It shows you how deep immigration runs. Um, even in basic things like just switching countries around. Yeah, no, it definitely does. Because sometimes we think coming to America as black, um, uh, as black Africans, we're like, oh, we just, we're just going to fit in. It's very mm -hmm. hard to actually even fit in because our cultures are completely different. Um, exactly. But wow, really well said. I'm going to fast forward to mm -hmm. where you are. What got you into becoming an immigration lawyer? Um, I always say this uh, before I ever talk about my immigration journey. I never wanted to be an immigration attorney. Um, this was never what I wanted to do, only because I'm not the type of person that likes to be in people's business. Um, and with immigration, I'm in your household. I know your private business. And so it wasn't something that I saw myself doing. But what ended up happening is once I graduated from law school, um, I knew I wanted to work with something that had to do with Africa. I went back to Congo and worked for a year because I wasn't familiar with Congo. So I worked there for a year up until the end of 2019. And then I was like, OK, I got enough experience. Let me come back um, to America and try to get now stateside experience. And then COVID hit. What type of work were you doing in Congo? I was doing legal advising for um, a large uh, flower and maize-based company, which is one of our greatest imports. Got it. Got it. Yeah. So it was nothing that had to do with immigration. It was more contract-based and, and structuring their legal department. Um, once I got back, um, COVID hit without um, putting any political opinion on it. The last administration was a bit harsh and kind of weaponized COVID with immigration. So borders or immigration, like I, I like to say, immigration was effectively shut down for like a year um, because of COVID. Uh, they were able to implement a lot of executive orders. And then I started noticing that the news was not explaining the executive orders correctly. And so what was then happening is people were either applying less or they were being discouraged and not 
getting the right amount of information. So I started getting on Facebook and just posting things. And then it was like one client after the other started coming to the point where I had to protect myself and open a firm. And now I'm just in love with it. Ah, so you already got into it. Mm-hmm. Uh, so a lot of us, I mean, the dream is once you are an immigrant in the U.S., I just want to stress that Deborah is a lawyer here in America and she's only talking about uh, immigration here in the U.S. of A. Unfortunately, we don't have for everybody. So <laughs> this is just for anybody who's contemplating if you come into the U.S. of A and uh, just also you want, you're interested to know on how it, it actually goes step by step in terms of inquiring certain documents in uh, to be legal, to stay in America, uh, to be able to work. This is the show for you. So we'll start with the green card. We okay. all want that green card to be able to travel, to be able to go visit our family. What What is the green card first? We'll start with that. Just for anybody who is outside, doesn't know. So your green card or um, your um, lawful permanent residency, uh, so you'll see LPR written some places, is essentially um, stating, the government stating that although you may be citizen of another country, your permanent place of residence is the United States. So you can still, for example, I'm Congolese of origin, I'm from um, DRC, and so I could have a citizenship in DRC, but my main place of residence is in America. It doesn't give you rights to an American passport or anything, but you do have, you know, your basics, your social security and everything. You're allowed to do certain things. You have access to certain stateside um, aid, uh, but it's it's literally the step down from um, citizenship. So that's going to be your, your, your right to remain. How does someone go about applying for the green card? So you always have to have an underlying um, petition, so to speak. So. America, American immigration is, uh, in my opinion, maybe like top three toughest countries to migrate to. Um, and I always tell everyone, unfortunately, you can't wake up one good Thursday morning and say, hey, I want to move to America and move here. Um, there's actually no legal parameter that does that at all. Um, however, there are different steps that you can, you can apply through, but the main ones Um, that typically people will qualify for is you always have your employment visas, um, applying for a job in America, and that job will sponsor you. And there's various um, different categories. So some of them will actually sponsor you for a temporary work visa that'll allow you to work in America for maybe a year or two or to fulfill the the purpose of your contract. And then some of them can actually sponsor you for a green card. Um, So you have to be, you you have to make sure you're aware of what category you're um, being sponsored for. Um, You, of course, have a family petition. Um, So U.S. citizens and green card family members can apply for you. U.S. citizens can apply and there's categories um, that'll break down a little. It's a little bit more broken down. So U.S. citizens can immediately apply for um, their underage children, which underage in, in immigration is under 21. So they're underage, unmarried children. A U.S. citizen can apply for immediately their spouses and then their their uh, parents. So that's what you're going to call an immediate uh, family member category. There's always a green card available for those members of the family. As far as green card holders, they can apply for um, their underage children and their spouses. There's always a green card available for them. And then after that, they can apply for U.S. citizens can apply for their married uh, children and then their children that are over the age of 21. 
um, and their brothers and sisters. But the brother and sister category, I always say, is a lost category. It takes about, I know Congo is about 13 years behind. Um, so <laughs> yeah, I, they keep trying to get rid of that category. I don't know why it's still there. But it, yeah, it's 13 years behind. Um, but the last three categories that I just listed, there's a specific amount of visas that are available for those categories. Once those categories run out, you're going to have to wait until there's more visa availability. So that's why they take a little bit longer. Um, on the on the the permanent resident side or the green card holder side, they can only apply for their unmarried um, uh, children over the age of 21. And they have to wait until a visa is available. So those are going to be your family-based uh, petitions. Um, and then just a, a slight mention, um, it would be with the uh, spouses for a U.S. citizen. You can also apply for your fiancé, um, which I always give the reference of like 90-day fiancé. That's what that fiancé visa yeah. is. <laughs> yeah. For those people <laughs> who have seen the show, I mean, I have no idea. I've been told to watch the show. I'm like, ah, I don't know. I've never seen it. I've never, I thankfully have never seen it, but I always use it as a reference. Um, but the fiance visa is actually typically quicker than applying for your spouse. Um, I always use the example of when you're doing a fiance visa, it's a temporary visa or a non-immigrant visa, meaning you're not coming here to move here. You're coming here to fulfill a purpose. And that purpose with the fiance visa is you're coming here to get married within those 90 days. Well, once you get married within those 90 days, you now qualify to be petitioned for as a spouse and now you can get your green card. So it's a pathway to the green card with like a non-immigrant visa that's easier to get because it's like a visitor's visa. When you're applying for your spouse, they have to make room for your spouse. So they have to give them a social, they have to do background checks, they have to do all of that good stuff. So that makes it a little bit longer. Um, but those will be- You just answered one of my questions. Uh, with the 90 day visa, like they're mm -hmm. able to get like social security and they work permit, right? after they get after they begin the application for the green card so basically anytime someone comes to me and asks me should i do i do we need to get married before i apply or can i just do a fiance petition i always tell them it depends on you um do you want to hurry up and get your significant other in the united states and then you guys figure out the rest or do you want to make sure once they get on and get in the united states they can work because once if you do a petition for your spouse they have a green card, they're immediately available to the job market. Because once they come in, they're coming in as a green card holder. Um, but if you do the fiance visa, they're coming in on, remember a non-immigrant visa. So it's a temporary visa and they have to fulfill the purpose of that visa, which is they have to get married. Okay. Well, once they're married, then it's just like a regular application. Once they apply for uh, your husband or your, or your wife applies for you, okay. then you can get a, a, the temporary work permit and all of that comes with it. I understood. Um, I know when I first got my green card, there's like a, a two, was it two years? I think a two year mm -hmm. one. Is this still the same process that you get uh, two years? And what other years do they have? So basically with the two year requirement, I've only had like two clients bypass that. But that two year requirement is typically if you've been married less than two years, which is probably once you, before you applied, you were married less than two years. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they typically. <laughs> it's one. No, one actually, I, I, I'll correct myself. It was ten years. They, yeah. they gave me a ten years. Yeah. I skipped the two year because I think the time exactly. that we applied. Yes, you're right. Because <laughs> I'm like, wait, no, it's never two years. 
10 years. Because yeah. I, so I only had one green card. Married... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, so basically, if you... <laughs> If you've been married for less than two years, then they basically approve you for that two-year green card. Um, okay. It's kind of like a fraud-proof kind of deal, making sure that you guys stay together. Then you have to apply for something else that's called removal of conditions on your green card because you're a conditional resident. We're watching you, making sure that you didn't fraudulently apply for your green card. Two years later, you come, you still convince us that you guys are a valid couple, then we'll approve you for the 10-year green card. So all, all green cards are approved for 10 years. After 10 years, you renew them. People typically don't make it to 10 years because by three years or five years, they're applying for their citizenship. So um, the the after the 10-year, if you want to stay a resident, some people don't want to lose their other citizenship. For example, Congo only has one citizenship. So the moment I became American, I lost my citizenship, my Congolese citizenship. So some people will want to remain a resident and just keep renewing that 10 year. But it's only two and in 10. Got it. I want to take you back to uh, Four Seasons, that file for their uh, sisters, their brothers, cousins. Why does that take so long? Because I mean, who of us want to bring our loved ones here? Why does it take so long? Like, what's the problem? Because let's, let's say some, some, some people, like mm -hmm. a lot of people from Congo, for instance, they lost their loved ones. There's only maybe they have their sister, their cousins. You want to bring them on and you, they don't have the ma their mom, their, their parents. Because you, like you said, the parents get the visas. Uh, they always have a visa for your parents and your, mm -hmm. children and your spouse. But what's going on with our siblings? The thing is, I honestly, it's one of those things that, and this is what I always tell my clients, immigration is not logical because that category of the parents and the kids and the spouse is actually called an immediate family. It's like the immediate relative family. But when we talk about our immediate relatives, we typically talk about our brothers and sisters and our parents, and that's the, yeah. that's the regular language. But um, immigration doesn't qualify that. It's a category that they've been trying to get rid of. At this point, it's kind of like a neglected category. Um, I always say, you know, hey, if, you're, if your sibling is like young and you get to have a head start, then yeah, go ahead and apply for them. And then by the time they're 16, they may be able to make it in. But it's not a right now category. And, it, and there's no logical explanation. I do want to mention though that you cannot apply for your cousin. Um, and you're, 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 you can't apply for your nieces and nephews. It's really just parents, kids, and spouses. Um, so is and there a term you can use if you want to adopt, let's say, you know, God forbid someone, you know, your sister lost, uh, got, you know, passed and you want to adopt their children, let's say. Is there a term mm -hmm. that could be used instead of like... Yeah, so um, immigration is actually fairly open with um, adoptions. Um, however... Um, adoption is very murky because you have um, it's when it's an international adoption, it goes beyond just American law. It, we're going into international adoption rules. So we have the Hague countries, we have non-Hague countries, which are conventions that that have been signed by you know um, uh, the international community to be able to govern and make sure that we're keeping these kids safe. Um, for example, Congo is a non-Hague country. So with Congo, when you're doing an international adoption, the first thing that I always remind people is. If you come from a country like Congo um, and you become American, you are no longer Congolese. So when you are adopting your Congolese niece or nephew, it is an international adoption. It is an American person adopting a, a Congolese child. 
Um, the, the rules for adoption are, first of all, the child has to be under 16, not 16 and under, under the age of 16, um, in order to be able to benefit from your immigration, of, to get immigration benefits, which means you could adopt a child at the age of 17, you could list them as a child in your paperwork, but they will not be able to migrate as your child because you had to have adopted them by the, under the age of 16. Um, as another thing would be, it's always easier to adopt while you're a green card holder and have your citizenship than to adopt as an American citizen because again, that intra-country um, issue. With Hague conventions, it's gonna go through, you're gonna have to go through a whole process I will be honest with you, I try to stay away from adoptions unless they've already been actualized and all we're doing is proving to the United States that it's a valid adoption. It's okay. expensive, it's time consuming. Um, and and it's, it's just, I can't say it's not worth it because of course we wanna take care of our family members, but I feel uncomfortable asking the amount of money it requires to balance out my hours and put in the accurate amount of work. So it, it's um, adoptions are a bit murky, but you can, you can um, if you've already adopted the child, and it's been a while. All you're going to have to do is prove that it was a valid adoption. Stepkids can be petitioned for. There's room for that. Um, and it's a recognized relationship. How long is the process to, uh, when, let's say I apply today for my green card. What is the process? Like okay. how long does it take? So you guys are going to hate this answer. I have taken the stance that I do not answer how long questions anymore. And the reason why is... But taking away COVID, taking away COVID portion. Well, you, the, what, what's actually insane is it was going faster during COVID. Oh. Right now, we're having people that are waiting for a year to renew their work permits. Renew, not just apply, renew. Um, and there's such, a, there's such a strong backlog that um, when you renew your work permit, uh, you have uh, the the receipt notice that tells you, yeah. you know, hey, we we got your the, mm -hmm. that receipt notice now serves as an automatic extension for five hundred and five hundred and forty something days to remain to keep your work permit valid because people were losing their jobs. So that's how far I back that happened for me in two thousand nine. <laughs> I lost yeah. my job for that. Really? Yeah. yeah. I wish that happened. Yeah. My boss actually tried to hold my job for like a month mm -hmm. for me. Mm -hmm. And it took a year to get the work permit. Yeah. 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 By the it, time it, it, it was time to even get the work permit, I just got the green card. Exactly. I've had a lot of I've had a lot of clients do that where we're either getting the work permit at the same time as the green card yeah. or we're getting the green card and then we get an approval for the work permit. And we're like, oh, mm -hmm. thanks. Yeah, but it's it's I, I, I use the example of I've had I've had um, a client apply for his citizenship in, in let's say since in the application um, they gave us a confirmation that they received it in June he did his fingerprint in July and then he got his citizenship in August but then I have a client that's going on a year and a half waiting for his citizenship. So it's kind of a toss up with immigration right now. Um, I would say if you're looking at a category, um, because we do have to break down also the different applications. So if we're talking about what's called an adjustment of status, which means um, the person that's applying for you is in the United States and you are in the United States, yeah. then you can do a, send the entire packet together. Right now I'm seeing adjustment of status when it's based on um, like spouses and kids, I'm seeing about a year to a year and a half. Hey. Um, and 
Yeah. <laughs> and then um, <laughs> if you're not stateside and the person that's applying for you is stateside, um, you're breaking down that process in two. So you're doing the first one where you're proving the relate. They are proving the relationship they have they have with you to the U.S. government. Um, and then the second part is basically them you going to prove that you're admissible in the, at the consulate office in whatever country you're in. Um, I typically break it down to my clients as a conversation so that they kind of understand where we are in the conversation. Um, and it lays it out a little bit cleaner. But in both cases, you're looking at anywhere to like a year and a half, two years minimum. Um, however, what I always tell people is that year and a half, two years is always going to pass by. It sounds like a lot right now, but COVID was in 2020. That was three years ago. So it, it time does fly. You might as well have the application pending while time is flying. Wow. Oh, goodness. <laughs> Anything else you want to add on the, on the green card before we, we wrap it up for the green cards? I think for green cards, that's pretty much it. Make sure full disclosure is always, always the way to go. Um, the one thing that you cannot fight off with immigration is you lying to them. So I've seen people get denied for traffic tickets um, because they just didn't put them. Uh, so always pull your driving record. I personally right now would not advise doing anything immigration related without an attorney. It's an, it's a very interesting, it's an interesting world right now in immigration and it's gradually getting tougher. Um, but triple checking your work, if you can't afford an attorney, use all of the, the tools that are out there for you. Um, one, one tip of the trade is that we Google as well. So you can Google and try to get some kind of parameters, but if you can, if you have the means, at least try to get in a consultation with an attorney. There are some, I don't review the cases, but there are some attorneys that do just a simple review. Um, try to get kind of that legal look before you apply for it. Being an immigrant can be hard. Having been away from my home country for over 20 years has allowed me to experience these hardships firsthand. Throughout my journey, I've had a lot of challenges that were hard to bear. Juggling adjustment to a new country, obtaining my immigration papers, getting married, having children, establishing my career, and finding time for myself. Even though I've always had faith, I also relied on therapy, which gave me the tools to cope with the issues life brought me. My fellow dreamers, Let's remove the stigma around therapy and normalize seeking help with today's sponsor, BetterHelp. BetterHelp offers licensed therapists who are trained to listen and help you. Go to betterhelp.com slash pastures for 10% off your first month of therapy with BetterHelp and get matched with a therapist who will listen and help in as little as 48 hours. That's very helpful because you don't want to make any mistakes. I, I was always nervous <laughs> trying to apply for anything. I, the whole process it was with the lawyer. I think only until I, uh, I got my green card, then my citizenship, I did it on my own. And yeah. that's what we're getting into. So from green card, we're getting into the citizenship. How can we get the citizenship of the U.S. of A? You can, you can get a citizenship two ways. Um, you've either been a green card holder for five years 
or you're married to a U.S. citizen and you've been you've been married to the U.S. citizen and have had that green card for three years, or you're married to the U.S. citizen at the time you're about to apply and you've been a green card holder for three years. So there's a three minimum three years if you're married to a U.S. citizen, five years if you just got your green card and you're not married to a citizen and you didn't get it through sponsorship. How long is the process for this? Uh, by the way, I forgot to ask you for the green card. Like, how much is it now? I paid like a thousand and something to get my green card. Yeah, so green card is going to be, if you're applying for yourself, so if you don't have like a, um, if you don't, well, let's, let's, let's put it like this. Um, if you're applying for a family member, it's 1760 um, 535 is going to be for me, the American that's applying for you. And then uh, 1,225 is going to be for you. Um, that's your green card application plus your biometrics to do your fingerprints and everything. Um, if you're applying for um, if you're applying for a, somebody that's not in the United States, that first part, that 535 is the only thing that you're going to be applying for at first. And then the second half is going to be done at the embassy overseas. So you're varying anywhere from, and then if it's like a job that's petitioning for you, when it's time for you to put your application forward, it's going to be 1,225 because that's just a green card application. So family member, 1,760. Um, and then that encompasses a free green card and a free um, uh, access to advanced parole or a travel document, which I don't recommend doing. But it gives you a free work permit and a, a travel document included in that 1760, 1225 if there's nobody applying for you or if it's a company that's applying for you, and then 535 if you're applying for someone that's not in the United States. Goodness. One more question, actually, on green card. Mm -hmm. So when I was mm -hmm. getting my green card, because I, I was just, like, puzzled, they, they ask you to go uh, check for tuberculosis and they have you mm -hmm. do, like, blood work what is the main purpose of all of that and if i don't know what they were looking for um the, everything was sealed i went to the doctor yeah. he took blood he did tuberculosis test and mm -hmm. i didn't have to see i didn't see my results nothing it just went oh. so you can actually ask them for a copy i always ask for a copy um because i had a horror story happen with like one of my clients uh forms where it was misinterpreted um, and so I always now ask for a copy. The doctor can give me a copy. Legally, we can see it. You just cannot unseal the one that's going to the government because they don't want you altering results. Right. Um, but the reason why is that's still under that admissibility uh, um, category. So in order to come into the United States, you have to be admissible. You have to make sure, we have to make sure that when we let you into the United States, I use that term, we loosely, I'm just speaking as the government, yeah. but when we let you into the United States, we're not harming our people. So if if you have um, uh, an illness that could spread and harm the United States and that the United States has categorized as an inadmissible illness, you're gonna actually have to apply for a waiver. Um, and so the United States is gonna have to analyze your case set aside and see if you qualify for that waiver, if we can figure out a way to get you help so that we're not adding um, illnesses into the government. So it's more so, it, it would be the same as, and it's unfortunate to say, but it's put at the same parameter as um, you have to apply for a waiver if you commit a crime of a certain degree. 
um, you have to apply for a waiver if you qualify as uh, a family member of like uh, um, um, an organization that, that that's committed crimes overseas or a government overthrow. It's one of those admissibility questions. Wow. Okay. Understood. Back to Susan. And one last thing. So sorry, I just thought no. about it. No, no, no. Go ahead. Um, one last thing I was going to say, please don't leave the United States, especially right now, if you don't have a green card, to stay. <laughs> Tell your family members you can see them later. I'm recommending that no one leaves the United States unless they have a green card or citizenship. No one at all. So um, with elections and changing rules, it, laws, it's going to be it's going to be a little murky. And I don't know if everyone remembers when all of a sudden the White House decided that if you didn't have a green card or citizenship, you couldn't enter the United States. We had a lot of people that had pending applications stuck on the outside. So um, we're I'm just recommending that you just stay in the United States, let the elections pass, um, see what what the new or continuing government has to offer and then travel securely. That's a good tip. Really, really good tip. You should see me run to the depression <laughs> in 2016. Like, I need to get my citizenship right now. Yeah. <laughs> it's getting tricky. Let me, let me get it out the way. Yeah. I was like, oh, no, let's do this. Um, so when I was getting my citizenship, I had to, oh, my God. So I went to the uh, immigration, asked for the booklet. For the mm -hmm. questions and then do the application. So for anybody who's like they have had their green card for three years or five years, whatever category that qualifies them, uh, can they do the application, let's say, with someone like you or they can do that on their own? Um, and what is the purpose of those questions? Questions. Hundred um, of them. The whole book. Yeah. And they only ask ten. <laughs> yeah, they only ask like ten. Yeah, I think it's yeah, it's ten and then you have to get what like six right, I believe. Oh, um I was making sure yeah. I got all of them right. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know what and, and what's funny, I always tell this to my clients right before their interview to calm them down. Although I was a minor, uh when I when I was I a minor? No, I wasn't a minor actually. I was like twenty I think I was like twenty-three. Um, but I it, it was an, the under the application that my mom did, so I, I wasn't really involved in the process. I actually got like two questions wrong. And he just looked at me and he was like, you didn't study, right? And I was like, my mom's gonna kill me. <laughs> and he was like, okay, it's fine. Let me just ask you another question. Um, only because it is, I always remind people, it's good and bad, you're dealing with a human being. So it was clear to him that, okay, this is somebody that her mom told her to study and she just decided to be funny, but she's aware of, it's supposed to be testing your patriotism and your knowledge of the country. So um, if you remember some of the questions, <laughs> yeah, you got to love America. Um, <laughs> if you remember some of the questions on your application, they asked you, um, do you understand the Constitution of the United States? Yeah. Are you willing to bear arms? <laughs> Are you willing to bear arms for the United States? Are you willing to drop all allegiance? And all of these patriotic questions, because that's what America is about, right? Where we love America, we'll fight for America, along with America. And so it tests your patriotism. They want to be aware. They want to know that you know these questions. Fair warning, I've tested my American friends on these questions and they don't know them. I know. So <laughs> they don't. Yeah. It, it, I always tell my clients, like, don't even try to, it, it's not necessary to understand it. Like, don't go look up Abraham Lincoln's history. 
read the question as is and remember that this question means this legally they have to read those exact questions they cannot reword um so just memorize the questions get it over with yeah that's what i did um so there are a lot of people that have i mean a language barrier when they come mm-hmm. to the u.s and they obtain their citizenship uh they're trying to get their citizenship mm-hmm. what is the the help that they can get because i mean if you, you i think um from what i understand it's all english that booklet mm-hmm. i haven't seen in another language it's just all english what mm-hmm. other help can they get for people who have language language barrier answer your question is uh, to explain how the citizenship process goes if you don't mind and um because once you so you're going to do your application of course you submit you go do your fingerprints some people don't have to do their fingerprints they just use fingerprints they've had but you still pay for it um and then um after that you're going to have if they don't have any questions about your application you're going to be scheduled for an interview at that interview all citizenship applications are the same at the fir- on the first part of the interview they're all the, the questions are all the same what they're going to do is they're going to ask you for your name of course and you're going to verify your identification and then um they will do the first part which is the english the reading test i believe reading is first they'll give you a simple sentence um johnny was riding his bicycle down the street and you have to say it back to them they want to make sure that you know basic english principles Uh, or uh, basic English um, modules. And then after that, they're going to give you a sentence, Abraham Lincoln was sitting in the theater. And you have to write it. They will say, write the following sentence, Abraham Lincoln was sitting in the theater. Um, those those are not questions that they, it's not sentences they get to come up with. It's already pre-written, pre-chosen. <laughs> and that's always fun. I'm smiling and, because I... I <laughs> When I was, is it coming back to you? No, because no. I don't remember all of that. It, it was such an adrenaline rush. I don't remember yeah. none of that. The only thing yeah. that you can ask me that I remember from my experience are the questions. It's the questions and them asking me where I traveled and they had a whole mm. list of all the yes. places that I had been yes. to. And you were talking about write this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they definitely do that. So everyone And I'm sure they the did. Part. And I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, they can't even touch and what's interesting is they can't even touch your actual application unless you pass that. So if you fail that portion, like if you miss your questions, if you if your writing is not good enough, they will actually stop the interview and um tell them that you know it's tell you you, you haven't passed um or you know you didn't score enough or we'll be in touch. Typically they'll give you a second chance. They'll send you a second interview and tell you, "Hey, you know, we want you to come back because you didn't pass the English portion. Um, we want you to go come back and have a second go at this." Um, and then once you pass that English portion, that's when they get over to your application and they start asking you. And they actually do go through the entire application with you. They just kind of will skim and and generalize certain questions and then go to that list of where you've lived or where you've visited. Um, the reason why they're saying they're seeing where you visited is um, we're not going to give you citizenship if you're only in the United States for 30 days out of the year. You know, so they want to see you're coming and going. Um, also, people always forget about this. It links to asylum. But if you came into the United States based on asylum, let's say I came in and I was fleeing Congo and then I win my asylum case and then a year later I petition for I apply for my green card, I get my green card and the first place I go visit is Congo. 
you better believe that when you apply for your citizenship, they have every right to deny you based on the assumption that you might have had a fraudulent asylum claim. And it could go as far as them even taking back your green card. So I always recommend, even if the country condition changed, do not go back to a country that you fled from until you get your citizenship. Got it. Got it. Oh, <laughs> oh that's... <laughs> I was wondering, because they had a whole list, and I forgot mm-hmm. one of the um, the places I had been, but thank God it was close to my birthday. And mm. they were like, oh, August 1st. I'm like, hmm. August first, where did we go? And I remember it because I always traveled for my birthday. But mm-hmm. yeah, it, it, it was shocking how many like the lists they had. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it, 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 yeah. They have this whole parameter that just yeah. They have th- there's that. Um, there's also traffic tickets. I have to go back to traffic tickets because yes. I had I had someone get denied their citizenship. Yes. One a client of mine got denied his citizenship um, based on a, he forgot to put a failure to show identification traffic ticket. And they said that it's a lie, that he's lying. So one of the things, yes, <laughs> yes. So one important thing to talk about with um, citizenship is good moral character. Um, basically, they're saying that if you want to be American, all Americans are good, so you have to be good too. So there's a five-year time span um, where they watch your behavior. Um, and during that five years, if you, for example, stole something or if you're just continuously getting traffic tickets, even if you're paying them, but you just love to go to traffic court, um, they can say that you're not of good moral character and use that against you um, if it's within that five-year scope. So anything you did between 2018 and today, they can use against you. Now, where they get very smart is... Let's say that you committed, a, you did this, you know, you were driving crazy or, or you stole in 2017. They now can't use that under the good moral character reason to deny you. Where they can deny you, though, is if they ask you about it and you give faulty information or you don't disclose it at all. In which case, the flaw that you now committed for the good moral character is that you lied. And because you lied to an officer, they're going to deny you based on good moral character. So it's kind of like a murky based on forgetting. And and what that's gonna cost you is an additional $700 to appeal it. So you make sure you pull your driving record, make sure you really sit and think about everything and disclose everything. I would rather you go talk to an officer and the officer's like, that's not important, rather than the officer asking you questions and you just didn't disclose something. Guys, the bottom line is you need a lawyer. That's why I'm, <laughs> I'm sitting here, I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Most tickets? <laughs> yes. yes, traffic tickets have been in. And then also um, children. I'm working on my second appeal based on someone who forgot to put their kids. Or um, one, well, one appeal was he, he got in based on um, diversity visa. And um, that's the visa that you apply in and out of pure luck, they kind of pick your name and you're able to come in the United States. So a lot of countries have that. Yeah. Um, so he, he came in at the time. He wasn't sure if the child was his, so he didn't put the child on the application. He went and applied for his citizenship. And by that time, he was sure that the child was his. So he put the child on his application. They denied his application and threatened to take away his green card because they said that he didn't disclose the child. So he came to us for an appeal. Um, and we had to work on that, but it, it, it's, it's, it just shows how they are so detail oriented. 
um, that one little trip up, you have to now explain to them and pay additional money to tell them, well, I didn't know if it was my kid. I would have been lying to you guys if I put him as my child and he's not my child. Yeah. So we had to make that argument and thankfully we won the appeal, but he spent more money than he needed to. Um, and that's the reason why getting an attorney in the outset is always better because you're going to do it by yourself. And then once you get denied, you've lost 765 and then it always costs more for me to fix your mistakes than for me to just apply for you. Um, and that goes with any attorney. So, uh, yeah, citizenship is not as easy as it used to be. I always get mad at the older generation <laughs> because it was so easy for them. It was like one page. I was showing my mom uh, the green card application. She she migrated here in 97. I showed her the green card application now. It's almost, I think it's like 20 pages. When she applied, it was two. Yes. No, and the older ones, uh, the old green cards, because unfortunately, um, to, to see all different type of uh, IDs where I work, Mm-hmm. They don't even have expiration date. It says permanent residence, no expiration date. Oh, no, no. Really? Yeah. Just, wow. Yeah. No, they look very different, weird looking. I don't even. Ah. Yeah. No. No expiration yeah, it was date. So sweet back then. Yeah. No. It was. It was. Yeah. Now it's so tricky. It's so tricky. The citizenship application. I think it's like fifteen pages now. Fifteen, sixteen pages. Wow. Yeah. yeah. And then that, and then plus studying, the nerves, the stress. Mm-hmm. Wow. We, we're done with citizenship, right? Yes. Just tell the truth and get an attorney. Great. Yes, I agree. <laughs> Definitely agree. That's it for this episode. Thank you again for lending us your ears. It's truly an honor to save each and every dreamer. You can continue to support us by liking, sharing, and following us on our social media pages. The links are all in the show notes. We have so many exciting projects and ventures in store for you. Until next time, keep dreaming.